Psalm 76 for the chief musician on stringed instruments, a psalm by Asaph, a song. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. His tabernacle is also in Salem, his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the flaming arrows of the bow, the shield and the sword and the weapons of war. Selah. Glorious are you and excellent, more than mountains of game. Valiant men lie plundered, they have slept their last sleep. None of the men of war can lift their hands. At your rebuke, God of Jacob, both chariot and horse are cast into a dead sleep. You, even you, are to be feared. Who can stand in your sight when you are angry? You pronounced judgment from heaven. The earth feared and was silent. When God arose to judgment to save all the afflicted ones on the earth, Selah. Surely the wrath of man praises you. The survivors of your wrath are restrained. Make vows to Yahweh your God and fulfill them. Let all of his neighbours bring presents to him who is to be feared. He will cut off the spirit of princes. He is feared by the kings of the earth. Okay, the short little psalm by Asaph is a psalm that we can summarise by saying, God is awesome, you should fear him. And um, I know that there are longer descriptions of this type of thing in other parts of the Bible, like in the end of Job, where it goes through verse after verse describing how awesome God is. God does this, and God does this, and God does this, and who are you to question him? We've got a short form of that type of thing here. It starts out by saying, in Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. So it starts out by saying how wonderful and powerful and lifted up God is. His tabernacle is in Salem. Now, that's verse 2. Where is Salem? Now, I know there's a place in, um, you know, I think it's New York or Massachusetts, somewhere in the, you know, northeast of the USA called Salem. Uh, but no, it's Jerusalem. Jerusalem is what we're talking about here. So Salem is actually the word for peace or shalom. Shalom and Salem are the same thing. And so it says here that his tabernacle is in Shalom, in peace. and um, But basically it's saying he dwells in Jerusalem and then it says his dwelling place is in Zion. So that's the same thing. Um, and then it goes on to say how glorious he is. Valiant men are plundered. At your rebuke, O God, the chariots and the horse are put into a dead sleep. So God can, can speak a word and death can come to entire armies, chariots and horses. In verse 3, it says, He broke the flaming arrows of the bow, the shield, the sword, the weapons of war. People can get angry at the Lord, but nothing can withstand him if he doesn't want to be withstanded. Sometimes the Lord, through the history of the Bible, he allowed himself to appear defeated. And you know, there are people in the world today who don't think God is anything at all. They look at the church and they, they say, Oh, Christianity is a, a thing of the past. Uh, you know, God's not real. He's a figment of our imagination. And well, you know, God sometimes allows himself to appear that, he, that he's been defeated. But the truth is when God decides he's going to smash the weapons of war, he smashes them and he does it well and truly. So you think about something like, say, as like the you know, communism in Europe. 
here you've got a whole spread of nations. It starts, you know, with the Russian nation. The Russia conquers all, gets all these countries under their control after World War II. So, you know, you've got Romania and Moldova and, you know, Azerbaijan. You've got all these nations that came out of the USSR and communism is so strong and they're pushing the fact there's no God and they brainwash all their people. And they have to recite mantras, you know, like, there is no God, and you know, and things like that. And, and they're so pushing the fact there's no God. Well, where was God in all of that? He was letting it happen for his own purposes. But then there comes a day when God decides, that's it. <laughs> and he just stands up and smashes it, and communism was over. And, um, <laughs> and all of a sudden, the gospel floods into those lands with power. And uh, I remembered reading about um, one of those countries was um, Mongolia, which is, you know, just north of, it's in between Russia and China. And it said that, uh, you know, in the year 1990, which was just, you know, when communism was, was all collapsing, uh, it said that they had done a survey and they had found there were just a thousand Christians in Mongolia. They were all very traditional Catholics or something. And, um, but within just a matter of 10 years, it had grown to 100,000. And so what had happened was those communist years had made the nations hungry for Christ because, you know, atheism cannot give the, the soul any sense of purpose. God has made the soul and God has made the human heart to seek after him. And so there's striving. And if you take away, if you force people away from God, they go looking for God. Now, they may, in a communist society, they may not have admitted to it, but people become hungry. So as soon as the boundaries are removed, people flood into the church, which is what happened in the Mongolia example. So the Lord knows how to smash the weapons of war, and that's exactly what he did at Calvary when he defeated Satan. This whole psalm is about Jesus Christ. It says, I've written here, Speaking of Christ, who triumphed over the enemy at, at the cross... Now, it says, I was just reading to you verse 2, it says that his tabernacle was in Salem, peace, Jerusalem. So the name of Jerusalem is the city of peace. Now, if you were to look at Jerusalem um, from a purely earthly perspective, you would never have called it the city of peace because there's been that many wars and disagreements going on for millennia. And even today in the Middle East, there's still no disagreement a boundary line between, you know, the Palestinian territories and, and Israel runs right through the middle of Jerusalem. It's, it's definitely not a city of peace. And, um, but there's another Jerusalem. And this is the Jerusalem that the Lord truly dwells in. And in the, in the New Testament, we find out that this is called the New Jerusalem. Now, some people think that this New Jerusalem is, is heaven. They think, oh, when we get to heaven, we'll be in the New Jerusalem. No, go and read your Bible again and pay attention. Revelation 21, it says, and I saw the bride of the lamb coming down out of heaven. You know, I saw the city coming out of heaven, the new Jerusalem dressed as a bride for her husband. Jesus isn't going to be marrying a building or anything, you know, structural. No, he's marrying his bride, which is the church. The church is the new Jerusalem. So all of these are symbols and figures of speech because they're trying to explain to us something that's truly real. The truth, the true reality is that we are the new Jerusalem and that God will dwell in us. God's going to live in a city, but it's his people he lives in. 
And so when it says here that God's tabernacle is in Salem, his dwelling place in Zion, it's the church. God actually dwells in his people and that is a place of peace. So the physical Jerusalem is not a place of peace, but the Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem that the New Testament describes, that is a place of peace and that is where God dwells. The, new t- the, the Bible tells us elsewhere to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I, the way I understand this is that we should pray for the church. We pray for God's people. And that's the meaning of that scripture. Now, at the same time, you can pray for the physical city of Jerusalem for it to have peace too. But there are also many places in the world that you should pray for to have peace. And at this time, the Ukraine is one of those places to pray for. This psalm ends in verse 11. It says, make vows to Yahweh your God and fulfill them. So this whole psalm is all about the fact that God's an awesome God and we should fear and respect him. And in verse 11, it says, make your vows to God and keep them. So if you make a promise to God, you keep it. My personal perspective on this is that when we make a promise, we're like making a rule for ourselves. It's like we're putting ourselves under law again. You know, we're not supposed to be under law, but under grace. So my perspective is don't make promises to the Lord because you can't keep them. But this, this psalm tells you that if you do, you have to keep them. And we learnt that too in, um, in the old book, in the law, you know, in Leviticus and Numbers. We learnt that. If you make a vow to God, you're obliged to keep it. It's much better to not make a promise to the Lord, but rather to tell the Lord what you want to do. So say to the Lord, Lord, I want to serve you. Lord, you're wonderful. You've been wonderful to me. I want my, my heart to be yours. And then say to the Lord, help me. Help me to love you. Help me to serve you. So then this is all about what you want and it's not about what promises you're making because you'll surely fail if you make extra laws for yourself and God's grace isn't in it. Lord, I want to thank you for this psalm. You are an awesome God and I pray that our love and our heart for you would increase. And I thank you that you dwell in Jerusalem. You dwell in the city of peace and that's us. And may our knowledge of the Lord become more and more real in Jesus' name. Amen.